0: Hello, let me welcome you to one of our Equip workshops for the Center for Pastoral Leadership and Preaching here at Southeastern. My name is Dr. John Ewart, and I'm the director of that center, also the associate vice president for Global Theological Initiatives. We do these Equip workshops at least once a semester here on our campus, and we're trying to address some practical as well as theological and biblical issues that leaders in the local church are going to actually face in real ministry. And so uh, if you go to our website, uh, on the Southeastern website, and you go to the center page and you look at the resources page, you'll find some resources on weddings and preaching and and conflict and marriage and family and all kinds of things there, so we hope you'll visit that. Today, what we're going to be addressing are the subjects of death and dying and grief care, grief counseling, as well as how to conduct a funeral. So the first part of our session today, we're actually going to have a panel discussion with some great guests here who are going to help us out, and then the second half of what you're going to be seeing today is we're actually going to walk through what it means to prepare for and conduct an actual funeral service. And so we appreciate you joining us here in the recordings. We have live students here, actually live students here uh, in the room with us, and we'll be uh, interacting with them during the time as well. Let me introduce our panel. Uh, I say I'm Dr. John Ewart. I teach missions, evangelism, and leadership and uh but my background for today is the fact that I served as a local church pastor for about 20 years. I've actually conducted over 300 funerals. And so this has been was a major part of my ministry. It was never intended to be, but it's just the way some context worked out. I had a a, a man who is a church member who's a funeral home director and uh I could do 3 or 4 funerals a week if I had time to do them. I didn't always have time to do that, but but it was a major part of kind of what we were doing in a community. So but let me introduce my guests here, Dr. Sam Williams, our professor of counseling here at Southeastern. So obviously he's going to help us with some of our grief care, some of our ministerial care. Dr. David Jones, associate professor of Christian ethics and one of our associate deans here at Southeastern. And then Dr. Bill Boyer, my good friend and pastor, senior pastor, I guess. Well, is that what's your title? Senior lead, pastor? Lead pastor. Now, lead pastor. Wow, yeah, that's right. We're fancy now. So the lead pastor of Wake Crossroads Baptist Church here in Wake Forest. And uh, obviously experienced in ministry and going to have a great time together. So we're just going to dialogue a little bit, and then uh, we'll take a break, and we'll reset. So We tend to begin our discussions whenever we're talking about marriage or we're talking about funerals or this next year we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper and baptism, just some of these real church finances. We talk about all these things as part of the center. But we always try to begin our discussions by laying some biblical and theological foundations for what we're doing. So... Let's talk a little bit about, I guess for lack of a better term, our theology of death, our theology of death and dying, how we approach that. I'm going I'm to start with Dr. Jones and just talk about some of the things that, that we ought to be aware of as Christians, as believers, how we ought to be approaching these subject matters, what some of our beliefs ought to be
1: historically, biblically, etc. So, Dr. Jones? Yeah, it's a great question, John. And, you know, um, I think the most important thing uh, in regard to uh, the topic of death and dying is kind of just to do what we're doing here this morning. Uh, It's just to be willing to talk about it. You know, there's so many Christians out there that kind of want to pretend, um, you know, like it's not going to happen. It's kind of like the white elephant in the room, right, that uh, it's easy to overlook and and not talk about. But, you know, really in in Scripture, um, you know, we're told to, uh, you know, to think about the brevity of life. I mean, to use that uh, really as a motivation uh, toward right Christian living. Uh, and, of course, we're also told that it's, it's foolish to make plans um, you know, for tomorrow and not consider the fact you know, that life is so short, our life is a vapor. You think of James 3, uh, Psalm 90 is a great psalm uh, that talks about considering the brevity of life. And so I think that the first thing to do is, just to, is to, it's to be willing to talk about it uh, and to frame it uh, in such a way that it, it's helpful uh, you know, for us uh, here this side of, of the grave. But, you know, a, a second thing, I mean, by way of the, the theology of death, I think it's real important to, to consider as we frame up, up our discussion. It, it's to consider that while, while death is inevitable uh, for all of us here in the room and really for all mankind, I mean, barring Christ's return, it's important to keep in mind that, that death is not natural. And so it's inevitable, but not natural. And so even as, as Paul tells... Uh, Christians in Corinth, uh, you know, death actually is our enemy. Uh, death is the last enemy uh, and has been defeated in Christ. And so I think, number one, first of all, we need to be willing to, to actually talk about death, to consider death, uh, to use death as a as a factor to motivate us to write Christian living, but then not to treat it as if it's just okay, uh, but to realize that the reason why death is here, it's part of the created the order in which we all dwell, it's, it's, it's because of sin. Uh, and so it's inevitable but not natural. But then number three, lastly, I, I would say this kind of by way of a general theology of death, important to keep in mind that um, that while it's, it's not natural and inevitable, um, it is something that should give us hope uh, because the thought of death should promote us to think about Christ. As we're told in, in Scripture, Christ has given us victory over the grave. Right? And as Paul says, in a sense, to die is gain. And so just as we approach the, the broad topic of death and dying, I, say, I would say, number one, be willing to talk about it. Number two, understand that it's, it, it's inevitable, but not natural. But then number three, use it to, to cause us to think about the future, to think about Christ and think about the hope we have in him. Sure, and and so let's let's
0: uh, let's take this to application a little bit. So, Pastor Bullier, um, and you guys jump in here as well because we're all active in local church life. You know, here in the Pastor Center, it, what we're trying to really do is help local church leaders. So, how how do we talk about this? How do we teach about this? What what are ways for us to make sure that we're intentional in the way we're presenting this to our church people and in our teaching, preaching, et cetera. Mm-hmm.
2: Sure, John. A wonderful question, and again, like David said, one that oftentimes people wish to avoid. But I would say several things, Dr. year One, uh, as we teach the Scripture, we're going to be teaching about death and dying and, pre- and preparation for death because the Scripture does, of course, deal with that issue. And so it should come in the natural flow of the pastor's life as he's preaching through books of the Bible. Uh, don't jump over those uh, sensitive topics and difficult issues but wait right in deal with them textually and biblically. So I think that's one place in which we should do that. Secondly, times of training, like, you know, pastors, we're supposed to be equipping uh, the saints, of course, for the work of service. So we can be equipping our deacons, uh, other leadership, and uh, equipping our groups to know how to minister to one another. Well, one another experiences in life include death. And so teaching small group leaders, Bible study leaders, Deacons, how to reach out to families who are walking through an experience of death. And then, John, I think the third place, I guess we're in threes today, David, since you mentioned threes, the trinity here. The third thing I would say is um, in in the outliving of dealing with funerals themselves, yeah. preach the truth, deal compassionately, biblically with family members and those who gather in the time of the memorial service. And so and by way of your own preaching, by way of your equipping, and by way of living it out in a real experience of death and dying
0: yeah and and I think you know I know one time just some special training and this out of context, this may seem a little odd, but one of the things that we we did in local church life, even especially with our senior adult ministry, because uh so many of them were were dealing with friends who were passing away or they were worried about it themselves, and we were trying to think in terms of how they could prepare for end of life scenarios, et etc we'd actually have sometimes have workshops uh, with our senior adult ministry, for example, and, and I know in one situation, working with a, a local uh, funeral home uh, and and some great friends and who helped during this time, uh, hospice and others, we put together kind of a, a whole little uh, workshop to where we worked with anybody who wanted to come. It was targeted to our senior adults, and by the time they were done, they actually had a little packet. Uh, that their loved ones would know in time of death this is the packet to find and this had instructions and had ideas for the service and had uh, kind of who would be the Paul Had everything lined out for them and then there was also a place for them to put their insurance things and some of those end-of-life things so that there was a kind of the, the brown envelope that everybody knew to find and And it may seem kind of morbid to think about that but it was actually, actually quite liberating for them and gave them a real sense of peace about that um, we're going to talk more about the counseling, the grief care part here in just a second, and that's obviously a major part of what we want to do in local church. Before before we leave some of these biblical theological foundations, let's hit let's hit on a couple of issues though. Because there are a couple of issues related to death that we might want to just talk about for a moment. One of them is cremation, and then the other one's suicide. And so let's let's talk about cremation. Dr. Jones has actually written about this some, um, and so let's 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 take an opportunity to talk about uh, what are perhaps some of the is- ethical or theological issues related to cremation and then and then after that we 're going to kind of shift and Dr. Williams will look to you and, and let 's talk about some suicidal uh, kind of issues and what what 's related to that so let 's talk about cremation first
1: yeah uh, cremation uh, great great topic um, really hard topic actually to address um, in probably many of our churches uh, simply because um, In our culture currently, about half of of all um, those who die are cremated, and those are folks in in my church, your church. And so if you bring up the topic of cremation and you bring it up sort of by way of, hey, let's consider is this right or wrong, um, automatically you've got half the people um, in your audience um, that are going to be defensive, right, because they want to be justified in what they did. And no one wants to hear that the choice I made, you know, perhaps uh, it was uh, perhaps not as – as good as it, as it could have been, right? And so the question, um, you know, is cremation, is it right, is it wrong, how should we approach it, um, huge, huge topic. And there's an article um, that I've sent that I think is posted on the website, or will be, where you can read in, in some some depth about it. But here's the um, the crux of the issue. Um, when we talk about, about cremation itself, the, the issue is not, hey, gee, if we cremate someone as opposed to burying someone, uh, does that actually affect where they go eternally, right? And so this is not a question of eternal destiny. It's a question of how do we handle the body of a decedent um, in the most Christ-like way, um, the best way that's going to best communicate and reflect our theology and our gospel hope, right? Because our, our theology, really, it, it should impact all of the great areas of life, all the great events of life, uh, you know, marriage, birth, death, etc. And so I think that the error to make, um, it, it's, and this is kind of what got me sort of into the issue um, to analyze it and do some work on the issue, is that I see many Christians approaching death and the question of what do we do with uh, the body of a decedent, um, they approach the issue more in a utilitarian or a consequentialist type way. And so the thought is, well, gee, it's maybe cheaper to cremate, and so therefore we're going to cremate or uh, it's, um, it's easier you know, by way of you know, portability, I mean, to cremate, or it's better for the environment to cremate. And so therefore, that's why I, cho- I chose cremation. But That's really a terrible way you know, to argue and approach all of life. I and mean, that's kind of like saying, well, you know, if I, if I rob a bank, I'll have more money, and therefore it's okay to, to rob banks. Right? Well, that's a, a consequentialist um, ethical approach. And so I would say, whether or not cremation is right or wrong, you don't want to do it solely because it's cheaper or easier or better for the environment. The real question is, in, in the handling of a body of a decedent, what's going to be the best possible way to communicate our belief in the gospel, our belief in a future body of the resurrection, uh, our hope uh, for uh, eternity, right? and, and to approach it and to frame the question that way? So that's the, the general approach that I would, I would put forth as we consider the topic, and It's an incredibly, of course, uh, complex topic uh, with all sorts of things. And Of course, some people can't, you know, you can't choose sometimes. I mean, if someone dies in a car accident or a plane crash or whatever, I mean, you obviously can't choose what do we do by way of a method of interment, right? And so, again, it's not a matter of eternal destiny, nor is it a matter of always, always choice. But what I'm trying to caution against is to say don't make a decision solely based upon finances, or other utilitarian concerns, because that's not the way to really do any of the Christian life. It's always, what does the Bible say, and what course of action is going to best reflect that by way of the choices we make and what we do. Anybody want to add anything to that, to that specific
0: topic? Any application or ramifications? Bill?
2: John, I had a recent experience, a lady who had years ago attended our church and had subsequently gone, gone elsewhere but called our office and said that her mother passed away and that she'd had her cremated. And she wanted to know if she could um, bring the cremains by and um, if we could pray with her. And uh, I said, well, you know, it's not something that we often get calls to do, but nevertheless, I said, well, come on by. So uh, one of the other ministers and I met her in the office, and sure enough, there she had the cremains, and I did not know the mother. And so I, we sat down, and I said, why don't you share with me a little bit about your mother? And so she talked about her, talked about her faith, her relationship with Christ, and the decision to cremate her and that sort of thing. And then I said, well, uh, you know, all we can do right now is to pray for you, for God's comfort and grace for you and for your family. And so the, the three of us there in that office, John, just had, had just a, a really sweet, unique time of prayer with her. Um, again, she didn't come and consult about whether or not to cremate and all. That was, decision was already established. But I say all that to say, you know, after 38 years of pastoring, that's the first one I've ever had like that. And I suspect that we'll continue to see more unique expressions of dealing with cremations. Um, but, you know, for me, the bottom line was the other pastor and I left the office saying, you know what, that was a different ministry, but that was pretty good, pretty good ministry that morning. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Sam, you got something?
3: Yeah, I recently dealt with this personally. My mother, who is aging, uh, began thinking about making her own fu- funeral preparations, and I was so uh, grateful to her because she came to me and my brother, and she asked. She was contemplating cremation, largely because it's cheaper, and uh, my stepfather was contemplating that same direction. And and um, to be asked that question by my, you know, what would you boys be comfortable with? was so helpful. And, and my first response was, you know, I've been raised in the Southern Baptist Church. I am uh, much more familiar with Judeo-Christian traditions about treatment of the body. And I said, you know, Mom, it just doesn't seem honoring to me for you to, for us to take care of your body by means of burning it up. It just doesn't feel and seem right to me. And, and I think my feelings there have some theological underpinnings in the traditions in which I've been raised. And, it was, um, and so she actually decided to go with a more traditional burial uh, because uh, we started talking about what does it look like to honor her body after she dies. And it just seemed to me most honoring to my mother's body not to burn it, which is a tradition in some other religions, but not mine and not hers.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So, so one of the one of the points I think we want to make is that again, as Dr. Jones has said said multiple times, this isn't an issue about eternity. This isn't an issue about where the person's going to go. It's an issue of of, of reflection and thought. It's also not an issue of condemnation. It's an issue of guidance and thought about the best way, the most honoring way perhaps, to remember those who have who have passed away. You know, when we come to this time, it's a time often for many, it's a time of celebration in, in a sense of believers who really are uh, moving on to, and it's a cliche, but it's true, a better place. It's a time of grief, it's a time of loss, uh, and sometimes the the context of the way the death occurred is also quite tragic, uh, and, and let 's let's go into that darker place for a moment and talk about some of these these tragic scenarios, but they're also incredible ministry opportunities if they 're handled well and so let 's talk about suicide and then in a moment and, and bill i 'll probably throw this towards you let 's also think about infant death. I think is something that we might want to address. But let's talk about suicide. In some traditions, suicide is a mortal sin. In some traditions, suicide is an unforgivable type sin. And so we need to have a theological process about this that's healthy and biblical. In the same way, we need to also think about how we're going to help people through this difficult time. So Sam, help us with this.
3: Yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind and probably to yours when you contemplate suicide is – Most of us can't imagine a more tragic way to die or to have somebody that we love or care for die. Uh, So I think a first step in understanding how do we pastor here, how do we minister here, what does a good shepherd look like here, is to just really go with some of your own sentiment there. It is absolutely tragic. The magnitude of the tragedy of death is tripled, quadrupled, maybe more when there is a suicide. And then likewise, often the emotions that are typical in any loss, in any death, whether it's just grief or anger or maybe guilt um, are also tripled. So the 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 tragedy here and its magnitude also ratchets up the magnitude of the emotional responses of people that are dealing with this so what that means for us as pastors and ministers is is your sensitivity to these people and the just the 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 scale of their loss is very very important so your presence is huge um on the one hand suicide is tragic People that commit suicide are always in very deep emotional trouble. The amount of pain and hopelessness they're experiencing is is overwhelming, and many times that is why they take their life. On the other hand, I think we do need to hang on to our theology, and we need to say, you know, they were in lots of pain. They probably didn't see any other way out. But on the other hand, it was wrong that that wasn't the right way for them to go. So your sense of of grief and hurt and disappointment and anger, um, all of that can be very, very acceptable, understandable in these conditions. Um, but then finally, like you alluded to, uh, at least our belief as evangelical Christians, as Baptists, is that while Suicide it definitely is wrong. People should not take their own life. They have not created their own life, and they do not have the right to take it. The death card and the life card belong to God and not to us. At the same time, suicide is not the unforgivable, unforgivable sin. And many Roman Catholics continue to hold to that tradition that it's a, a mortal sin for which one cannot be forgiven. We do not believe that. So I think that we bring the hope of a gospel of a God who is bigger than even suicide.
0: Yeah, because if you think about it, um, you know, in our theology, sin is sin. I mean, sin has perhaps different consequences here on earth, but but in in a theological sense, sin is sin. And so any unforgiven sin, which might be a part of my life at the point of my death, Uh, I'm thankful that the gospel and that grace covers that for me as a believer and that I didn't have to confess and repent of that sin before I died or somehow that holds me back. And so suicide is is in that same category. Uh, Just a a very recent, uh, like last night event in my life, um, I was with my college son last night and we were talking about a dear friend of his whose 12-year-old brother uh, just this past week uh, committed suicide. Totally unexpected. Uh, He left a note uh, and he had been bullied at school and was making bad grades and at 12 years of age could not handle that and killed himself. Totally unexpected by the family. And so my son is actually helping this dear friend of his through this time and was asking me uh, how to help him during that time. And so uh, just tragic, tragic, tragic type situation as, as, as it often is. Um, Bill, from a local church perspective uh, as a pastor, just tell us a little bit about you know how you you've walked with people through this
2: through the issue of suicide sure in thirty eight years pastoring john I've had two in the four churches that i've pastored and i I think of uh, all the expressions of death that probably is the one that's most unfair to the family members because they're left with all those thoughts Did, did we miss something? we're not attentive, where uh, we're not loving enough, caring enough. And um, I, I think for family members, that's just the most challenging circumstance they can deal with. At the same time, when somebody who's a genuine, authentic believer uh, makes that wrong decision to take their life, I think it is incumbent upon us as pastors and as ministers to remind people that though that was a bad decision, it did not negate what Christ had already accomplished in their life nor did it in any way undermine their years of serving and ministering, life of the church, other places. And so this is particularly true, uh, John, in one of our churches where a man uh, well up into years who was a stalwart in the community, known as a wonderful godly man, chose to take his life. And I well recall the many comments uh, prior to the service of, of friends and family to me sort of expressing you know, the concern that somehow that undid his salvation. And so that's where I began my message, was to say all that's taken place has not undone what Christ had already completed in this individual's life. And so I think it's a good opportunity for pastors, for ministers in those settings to really keep the theology straight in the minds of the people when their hearts have been shattered. But for the family, John, this is the toughest one, I think, to deal with.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll also add add one thing that might be helpful for um, those of you who are watching. Who are perhaps, are perhaps uh, chaplains in, in in the military, the um, a question that I, that I get asked uh, repeatedly that relates to, to suicide, it, it's the it's the distinction between uh, suicide and self-sacrifice, and indeed there is a a difference there. Um, uh, Christ, for example, I mean Christ uh, testified that you know he could have called you know legions of angels, I mean to come and deliver him, right, but chose not to voluntarily gave up his life on the cross, but that was not suicide. That was self-sacrifice. Samson
3: would be and, another example. Samson
1: and, and, and others. And so I, it's, it's important, I think, to, to keep uh, that distinction in mind because uh, numerous times, again, those in the military co- context, especially with the current wars going on, uh, there are examples of, of self-sacrifice. And I've had chaplains uh, come and testify of the need to Distinguish between the two. Uh, whereas suicide is, as we've said, is forgivable, right, and doesn't negate salvation, and Christ's work on the cross certainly uh, trumps that. Uh, suicide is is wrong, uh, albeit forgivable, but self-sacrifice, uh, you know, is something that's meritorious. I mean, to be celebrated, and so it, I think it's just important to have those distinctions in mind.
2: John, I wanted to just throw another item here because we're talking about ministering and people who are ministering to others. Sometimes as pastors and staff people, we're in a conversation with somebody in a counseling setting, and they'll say things like, you know, marriage is so terrible, I'm not sure I can go on. Or they'll begin to say some things, and and, and and Dr. Ud, I know this is your thing, but I wanted to ask Dr. Williams if I could, what are some things ministers should look for that would be the real, the red flag to say, we need to take this to the next level here?
3: Uh, yeah, I think that any time somebody makes a comment that might cause you to suspect that there may be some suicidal thinking going on, that the, the loving and, and ethical, moral thing to do is to follow up on that. Maybe not right then, depends on what's going on and who's president, present, uh, but <laughs> I, it's not a political issue, I'm sorry, <laughs> mistake. Uh, but but I, I think it's incumbent upon us if we really love people and love life as God does, that we follow up on this. You know, um, a few minutes ago you mentioned that you weren't sure that you wanted to go on. Can you tell me more what you mean by that? Well, I'm just not sure if I really want to go on. And then what we want to establish, just one more point here, is have they, within them their own intentions here, an active intent to take their life versus a kind of, Passive, I'd just as soon be off this planet. I, I, I wish God would take me. I, I don't want to wake up. I'd be fine if I just didn't wake up in the morning. That's passive intent, if that's all that's present, versus a person who is actually thinking about and even planning their own suicide. So we want to establish is this just a passive intent whether the, or versus an active intention that involves a plan to take their life?
0: and and since we're talking about practical ministry situations uh, certainly this isn't your first concern but but we might want to make a comment or two about liability uh and even legality at this point when when are we as church leaders liable uh when if someone has expressed to us this kind of suicide you know because suicide is against the law uh, in most places Used to be be in most places. Formerly. Yeah, let me say it that way. Used to be against the law in most places. But from a standpoint of liability, there could still be cause and effect here. Any comments on where the line is in ministry? Does anybody have a comment on any of that? All staring back at me,: Yeah,
3: um, you know w- with respect to, for instance, uh, legal obligations to report a suicidal person, those do not exist, uh, for instance, like with child abuse or elderly abuse. Um, there are no mandated reporter laws regarding suicide, however. You can be held liable, whether you're a pastor, a counselor, a psychologist, physician, whatever you are, if you don't take reasonable steps to protect that person's life. And the key there is that if somebody has moved from just passively contemplating suicide to actively thinking about how I might make, I might make that happen, planning, then it is incumbent upon us to take reasonable steps to protect them. Most of the time that involves contacting some other people. Most of that time that involves getting them some counseling, set them up with a counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist.
0: That's helpful, thank you. Uh, you know, Here, here in a moment I want us to move to a much more redemptive, you know, helpful, celebratory type discussion perhaps. But I do think there's one more area that we might want to address that I alluded to a moment ago. Um, I, I've had the unfortunate opportunity over the years to uh, To officiate at memorial services for young children, um, some of them who died from uh, known medical, you know, issues, all the way to very tragic accidental type death, and to walk with families and siblings and others through that time is is often difficult. Um, you know, we we could very easily now get into the subject matter of abortion of miscarriage as well as newborn death, as well as young child death. Um, but let's just think about some of these issues for a minute. Bill, I've asked you to kind of think about that, so why don't you, why don't you start us?
2: Yeah, this is, this is a huge issue, really. When you, when you mention the issue of abortion, miscarriage, we're talking about circumstances that people face. It's going to take a lot of time from the, past, from the pastor's perspective. <laughs> And really caring with the, for these folks, walking with these folks through this process. Uh, one of the churches that that I serve, we had in a uh, period of several years several sudden infant death, children uh, who died from that from that uh, that syndrome. Tragic, difficult. The, the, the unnatural side of that is we assume in our culture, uh, children are going to bury their parents, but it's uh, horribly difficult when families face the reality that a parent is is burying their child, and so. You know, I think heads up from the life of the church, from the pastor is, we need to address this issue. We need to help our parents think in terms of um, that that tragic and most likely unlikely event that their child should die. But if that were the case, what are some things that, you know, they would need to be prepared for? John, I've seen several cases, for example, where there's been miscarriage. Some, I've heard things within the church people have said that should never be said, you know. Uh, perhaps a well meaning but older woman saying to the young lady who's just lost the baby by way of miscarriage, Well, honey, that's okay. You can get pregnant again. Well, time out. Just a minute. That was a death. Here's a young wife and a young husband. They're wrestling with that very real issue of death. It's not a cosmetic matter, it's not superficial. It's, it's deep, it's enduring. And so I think for pastors, we, we need to be prepared to say, when we face those circumstances, we need to be willing to give time. This is one of those times when we have to be much more flexible, I think, with our own schedules and, and pour ourselves into loving, helping, encouraging those families. Mm-hmm. I think also, Dr. Ewart, to, to build up a net of support around those young parents um, is going to be critically important to help them go through uh, that process. In the second church where I was pastoring, pastor, we had about an eight-year-old boy out riding a bicycle one afternoon was hit by a car and was killed. Mm-hmm. And I, I think probably the most the most intense, difficult question I was ever asked came that afternoon, sitting in the family room of that family. family had kind of been um, in and out of church life. They'd come for a while, then be out for a while. And um, the dad looking me across the living room and said, Preacher, there's just one thing I want to know. Where is my son? Well, that's difficult. You know, and you can't say, well, it all depends, Dad. You've got to, to think in terms of trying to address that in, in a loving, caring way without, on the one hand, giving false hope, or, if you don't know, trying to make up something in the spot just to provide some sort of comfort. And so I think, you know, John, what I would say as far as dealing with uh, when children die, pastors need to think, number one, okay, I, I need to be present, and I need, to be, I need to be generous with my time. I need to be willing to walk with them through this process. I think for myself, after well over 300 funerals too, John, in my experience, when when I'm notified of a death, let's say of a senior adult, I'm thinking in terms a little bit of the fact, okay, that's five or seven hours of time that I'm gonna devote to the family, preparing the message, helping through the process of death and burial and all of that. So I realize what that is, five to seven hours of time. When, I, when it's a child, I'm thinking, it's going to be off the charts. Those people need love. They're going to need time and care. The church needs to rally around them. I think it's a great place for the church to act like the Christian community, you know, and really step up and be what we should be and, and lovingly walk through those days. And even as I say that, John, I realize as pastors, somewhere along the way, we need to take the time in our teaching and preaching to communicate to our congregations what we should say and what we should not say in those times help those young families walk through that process. This is the case where there will oftentimes be long-term sadness, even depression in the, in the hearts and the lives of that mom and that dad. And, of course, you know, the subsequent kind of pressures on that marriage too that can come, you know, what they did, what they did not do to forestall something like that from occurring in the life of their child. It's a huge issue in pastoral
3: ministry.
0: Yeah, and and just from a very practical standpoint, one of the things, my cross-cultural experience, um, infant death is a lot more common in places where I I often am. And I have a lot of friends, uh, whether it's through Ebola or AIDS or uh, just poor economics and poverty and disease, uh, have had to bury a lot of children over the years. One of the things that I would just encourage some of you who are new in ministry, and, and one of the main reasons, not the only reason we, we do these workshops, is to help uh, equip in a practical way those who are going out into church leadership. Um, but the first time you see, and we have friends here from Bright Funeral Home here in Wake Forest who've been a tremendous help to us, and we'll talk more about them in the second part of today, But, and I'm sure they would testify to this. When you first see that little casket, and you've never seen that before as, as the minister, as the one who's officiating and the one who's helping. You need to think through your own emotional stability and what you're going to be able to do and how strong you would actually be in facing that. Because it's a, it's a very stark image the first time you have to encounter it.
2: Yeah, could, could I just piggyback on that, Dr. Urdan, and say, you know, we're living in a time when many young ministers are just getting ready to start out. Parents are still living. Grandparents are still living. Maybe in some cases even great-grandparents are still living. And so they've not been themselves injected into that world to feel that unique pain and deal with their own emotions. And so uh, I would say to uh, young ministers finishing up and starting out, taking those first pastorates, uh, one of the first things you should do is go and meet the local uh, funeral home directors and folks there, get to know them. They're going to be some of the most helpful people of your entire community. And maybe what you ought to do is slip in on a funeral of somebody whom you do not know just so you begin to feel what that's like emotionally because if you're going to be the man, the pastor to stand by that little bitty tiny casket or a larger casket for an adult, you've got to be prepared to handle your own emotions. And if you've not, not walked down that road before, it can be a very difficult thing. And so try to get a handle on that before you're called upon to step in, lead in those situations.
0: Yeah, that's really, really helpful advice. Let's turn our thoughts to how can we help people during this time. Dr. Williams and Sam, I'll ask you to take the lead here as our professor of counseling. But, you know, what do we do in grief care? How do we help people with grief counseling? How how do we walk with families through this time? A lot of different scenarios, a lot of different contexts could be here, but let's talk about some ways that we could help folks.
3: You know, I think that what Bill just said uh, was huge in terms of the a role of a, of a real pastor, of a real shepherd uh, in times of, of death, which is uh, to be generous and present. Be present and generous with your time. Um, this is not a task to be uh, just accomplished and then be done with. But instead, this process of loss, suffering, grief, following a death, um, there's a lot of time up front, particularly where it's a, a, a young person's death, or whether there's a suicide or some major tragedy, something unexpected, um, that your time, um, you know, it's the ministry of presence, it's been called. Um, you know, you as a pastor um, are the one that people are going to look to for stability, uh, for compassion, and for hope. And so to, for you to bring stability when all seems lost, for you to bring compassion when you're not sure if God cares – um, for you to bring hope when you're wondering, this is so dark, how do we get through this? Um, the the gift of a wonderful pastor during times of death is inimitable. There's nothing like it. And, of course, pastors, you, you all have a, a long tradition in both marrying and burying people. And this is one of the ways that God has chosen to use you um, on this planet to, to share the gospel. And so, um, so I think that's the first thing is just... Your personal presence, establishing that you know you are there for them and you're willing to give of yourself and your time. Second thing I would say is that it's very important to, to say something to them. It doesn't have to be profound. You don't need deep, deep theology. But something simple just such as, I know this is really, really hard. How are you doing? That's not complicated, but that lets that person know that you recognize what they're going through, and you want to understand where they're at. The third thing I would say, and Bill reminded me of this when we met earlier and talked about how we were going to do this. He said, you know, it's really important for pastors to be prepared for sometimes very irrational and maybe even unusual emotional reactions. That's really true. Um, The variety of reactions, emotional responses that people have to death is, it's 31 flavors, but none of them taste good. So some people, it's just simple grief and mourning. For other people, they're, they're angry. Uh, some people feel guilty. Some are just confused and feel lost. So it's important for you to discern and find some way to understand and empathize with where that person is at emotionally. Because we're, and we're not just trying to be touchy-feely here. We have emotions about things that are important to us. So where the emotion lies, that's a window into their heart, into what's really important to them. And so that's a way to really touch somebody. Now, where you have those strong emotional reactions that are disruptive, maybe even irrational, um, those are the kind of people that we want to ask if they'd be willing to step outside with us or walk back to an office. And let's chat a little bit. If you don't know them, ask for a family member to come with you so you can help them to settle down. Once again, your role as shepherd, as comforter, as stabilizer, as the bringer of hope. Um, and then lastly, one of the things that I would say is that, that you know, as Christians, we do have the fundamental answer to suffering and to loss and to death. And it is the gospel of God in Christ. He didn't stay in the tomb. Mm -hmm. He arose. Mm -hmm. And for those that belong to him, they also aren't dead in the most final and deepest sense of that word. They continue to exist. They will be resurrected someday. So we, we have the gospel of God in Christ, which is the fundamental answer to death. And so this is a prime opportunity. One final point, follow up with them. Follow up. Your work is not done when the funeral's over. How a person feels after three days versus after a month versus after six months can look very, very different. So it's important to maintain contact, little touches, checking in with them, seeing how they're doing, like Bill said. Sometimes you need a team. You have to have other people helping you out. But what's critical is that you as pastor lead, guide, shepherd, provide stability, compassion.
0: And, and to add to that, and, and to have an ongoing, whether it's you, yourself, or their small group, or a deacon, or friends, Christmas, birthdays, anniversaries, uh, there are certain moments that are, will be more painful as the years go by uh that they'll remember and those will be moments of great sensitivity that you'll have what, what would you gentlemen want to add to what we've
1: said so far yeah you know, i just kind of say by way of maybe an advertisement um you know, you know sam's talking about about preparing you know, yourself emotionally and getting ready and learning you know some important you know skills i mean the skill of listening and the skill of, of presence i uh, you know so so very important but Stephen, uh, now here in, in in college and seminary, um, I, I would encourage you. I mean, to enroll in those classes, those pastoral ministry classes uh, that we have. You know, the, perhaps they aren't required. You know, for, for your particular MA or MDiv. You know, but they still are there. And so I would encourage you to to take those classes, uh, take the pastoral counseling classes, uh, and prepare yourself the best you can intellectually, intellectually and skill wise, uh, so that when you're out there and you actually have to practice it, you'll be best positioned to succeed. And obviously the more you do it uh, in practice, the better you'll get at it. But certainly you set yourself up uh, for success uh, by preparing intellectually and skill wise via the offerings that that we do offer here.
3: You You, you know, um, if if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you and Dr. Buyer a question. You guys have done hundreds of funerals, literally. So what are some of the things that you say to people when you first meet them after you've heard that they've lost a a loved one. What do you say? Just give us some words and...
2: Yeah, I think you have to be real simple. Like I say, there's no need to try to be profound. They're not going to remember all of that. Mm -hmm. What they will remember is your presence. Mm -hmm. So, but as far as what to say, to simply say, I'm so sorry. uh, A lot of times I'll talk about the bittersweetness of that experience when it's with a believer, when I know this was a believer a passed away. Because it is, there is a bitter sweetness. It's it's bitter, it's death, it's grief, it hurts. But it's also sweet to know that they're in the presence of Jesus where they're always going to be. Um, talk about the person. Sometimes I think ministers feel a little awkward about that, but the deceased. Talk about how they impacted your life, some of the experiences, even the humorous experiences that that, that individual had with me as a pastor, those kinds of things. So I think to honor that person by talking about that person is, is a good thing. And then also, Sam, I think in, when it gets quiet and you're with family and you're wondering, well, what do I say now in one of those awkward moments, you could also say to them, why don't you, some of you share some of your favorite memories of yeah. the deceased? Let them talk that sort of thing out. Yeah.
3: What, what do you guys do with the hard question? Do you think they're going to be in heaven? I don't know if they need a profession of faith. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you guys feel that?
0: Well, and and I was getting ready to say, let me let me say a couple things and then bill if you'll keep adding to this. Um yeah, let let them know that you love them. But but then I was going to say they're 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 kind of in a sense two general ways at a funeral or a memorial service. This is a known believer mm-hmm. and we're celebrating this in a way that everyone there believes and you you've had enough experience with this person, knowledge of this person where you too believe that this is a believer. And that's a very different, I mean, it's a celebration. I, you know, we, we have all had dear friends who have been incredible believers and what they're experiencing now and the fact that if you could ask them what they'd want right now, they don't want to come back. <laughs> they just want, <laughs> they want us to hurry up and get there, you know. And, uh, and so they're having a great time. As compared to the I don't know or the uh, we know, we know they're not a, a believer. Um, let, let me share a couple of of objective things, and then let me get back into the experience. One is the students here are, have received a hard copy packet, and in the back are a list of bibliographic resources as well as several articles. And those of you who are watching this on a recording, go to the website, make sure you download these resources, because you're gonna need these resources to help you process these very questions. From a theological standpoint, you, you really do need to know what you believe about your soteriology, mm-hmm about your eschatology because these are going to be questions that come up where, where is the body or where is the soul now what happens to that later what does it mean the dead in christ will rise i was asked that question about a week ago from a, a neighbor whose husband had died and and she's a believer and he's a believer there's no question about where he is right now but the question is, is how, does all that, how does all that work she couldn't those passages were confusing her and so we were walking through what that what that eschatological perspective is in the end time and and so you need to have the systematic theology really matters, you know. And so you you layer that and really start understanding how that gets applied in these situations, along with your pastoral care and ministry classes if you're a student, and and good training and reading, uh, and and observation. And for those of you who are young in ministry, find you older pastors who have experienced these things, uh, as well as what Bill said earlier is crucial. Get to know your area funeral home leadership and directors. These these, these men and women have been through this a million times with people, and they can give you great insight. And so work through these processes. Now, back to what we were, we were talking about, uh, what I try to do is focus on a, a couple things. If I don't know whether that person's a believer or not, or I know they are not a believer, my focus is on the family and not them, I mean, in a sense. And, I, and now, if I'm asked the difficult question, I'll have to walk through difficult answers with them as honestly as I can. But what I'm trying to do, in fact, here's kind of a three-phase funeral message, which is also a part of this same discussion. What I'm going to do during that memorial service, and I'll often say this out loud, we're here to do three things in this memorial service. And these, let me give you these very broad categories, and then you can make all kinds of points, subpoints, and use all kinds of passages of Scripture to make that work. But three broad phases of this message for me are very simple. And I'm old, so they're probably alliterated. Um, <laughs> but we're here to honor a life. And I, I'm going to try to do that, even if that's a scoundrel. I mean, even if that was the town misfit, drunk, you know, robber, thief, whatever he was, I, I, I want to try to find something If I can't find something about them, I'm going to find something about the family. But we're here to honor – because we are. We're here to remember and to honor this person, good, bad, or ugly, in some way. And that's where the obituaries and eulogies and things like that are going to come to play. Secondly, though, and this is where we are here, we've come to seek help for our loss. This is a time of grief and a time of comfort. It's not just an evangelistic crusade for me, and I don't want it to have that sense. I, you know, I know pastors who, frankly, in small towns across America, the largest service they might preach in a year might be a big funeral. And they're using it as an opportunity to kind of almost promote their agenda rather than actually focus on what they're there to do. For example, in a small town one time, the fire chief was killed in a horrible accident. Several other firemen were killed along with him and and hurt. And the only place in town large enough to have that service was our sanctuary because we were the larger church in town. And so we have, you know, a couple thousand people at a funeral. The whole community (coughs) is there, and you're speaking to the entire community. That's an opportunity to be a spiritual leader of a community. It's an opportunity to be a shepherd and a guide for that community. It's not simply an opportunity for you to see how many converts you can make. However, so we're there to seek help for a loss. But the third point is we're there to seek hope for our lives because that person's hope has been decided. So what I want to do in this funeral setting is I want to make sure that I'm focused upon this family regardless of the condition of this person who's in the casket. If I know they're a believer, then I can. it's easy and I can layer on there and we're going to see each other again and we can, you know, the reunion experience, all that. But if not, then I'm going to focus on you all who are here and what you need to do. And if it's known that this person was a believer and everybody in the room knows that, I'm not afraid to talk openly about that, frankly. Uh, but that's that's going to only be if that's a very known and almost an understood thing in the conversations I have with the family ahead of that service to where, you know, that, that I've had families say to me, you need to use this as a warning to everyone else in the room uh, because, you know, he, he died of alcoholism and, and was a horrible person or whatever and use this as an opportunity. But most of the time I'm going <laughs> on, I'm, I'm looking for that help and I'm looking for that hope scenario. So what would you guys layer?
2: John, could I add to that? Uh, you know, unless a guy is pastoring a just a major mega church, mm-hmm. part of our responsibility is under shepherds, isn't it, to know the sheep, mm-hmm. kind of understand what's going on in their lives. and So, you know, for me, for most of our older folks who die, I've known them for years, have observed in their lives those evidences of the fruits of redemption, you know. And then when, when death does come, to talk with the family about the issue of their personal salvation. Some cases, of course... That's not at all the experience. There's an uncertainty about that. In that case, I would say it really is it's my responsibility as a pastor who will be speaking at that funeral to, to, to try in conversation with those family members to understand that, that, the deceased's spiritual status. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you don't know them very well, but, but find out from the family. So I think that's part of my job is to try to, try to sort that out. That in the service itself, the memorial service, certainly to provide words of comfort, that should always be there. And I appreciate, John, your the sense of balance you're taking about presenting the gospel and yet not using that as an evangelistic crusade necessarily to promote just one's own particular cause. But I would say at the same time, the balance is every time that I speak at a funeral, in some concise way, clear way, straightforward way, the gospel is going to be heard. Right. Because some of the folks there may for the very first time begin to consider the shortness of their own lives. And so it could be a launching point to something in the future for them. But I think in a a tactful and clear way, the gospel must be presented by the minister at each of those services.
0: And if you'll notice in that outline I shared, hope is the last point. I'm I'm ending with the gospel. And it's a very clear gospel presentation. Sometimes the family, and and you'll experience this. Sometimes the family will ask you specifically to, I mean, they want the you know we have a the uncle Uncle Ralph's coming. He doesn't know the Lord. We want him to hear the gospel. He doesn't go to church. This will be the one shot he has, and they'll specifically ask you to share the gospel. In my experience, I was in a situation to where I would I did a lot of funerals for people I had never met before, and so these were people I had no idea what their spiritual condition was, and and uh, because of my relationship with the, that funeral home director, uh, he saw it as an opportunity for ministry and evangelism, and so we took advantage of that opportunity at the same time to provide comfort for people. And so, um, but yeah, so I always end, that's right, don't ever, I mean, it's pointless to, it's pointless not to share hope, and the only way we have hope is through the gospel. So, anything else, David or Sam? So, uh, so what do you
3: guys do when it's a gray area or you have good reason to, maybe the person was an atheist. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going on with my my dad? What, yeah. what is God up to here?
2: Well, uh, Sam, I think that's a great question. One, I think in the memorial service, it, it's, it's not time to blast the individual. They're not there to respond. And so I concentrate then on trying to speak of something in the community of value they did They love their family. Find, you know, legitimate items and details that speak of the individual's life and the good things that they did. Mm -hmm. And then just move away from that and talk to those who are present about what the Scripture says about life and death and having hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's where I go.
0: Now, behind the scenes in private conversation, if if push comes to, I mean, I'm going to have an honest conversation with them eventually, you know, and... Some of that has to do with timing, the timing of that conversation. That that may may not be the first conversation I have, but as I have an ongoing – because my hope is, especially for those I'm not as familiar with, I want an ongoing relationship with them because I'm praying that that family at some point is touched by the gospel if they have not been, and, and we want to continue to reach out to them and minister to them as we can. So eventually, there, there's going to be an honest conversation. I think I think even in the message I'm going to share, it's going to be pretty clear by the time I'm done that if you don't trust in Jesus, I don't think you've gone to heaven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I think that's going to be in, in any gospel message. I think that's going to be pretty clear. Uh, but again, my focus during that service is, is really for the person who's not known, is not who's in the casket as much as it's going to be who's sitting out there in those chairs.
2: John, if I add just one more thing that I'm, I'm observing, and maybe our friends from Bright Funeral Home could, could add more color to all of this, but what I'm observing, these last several years especially, unique, different kinds of requests of the families of things to be done in the memorial service. I do like the video images now that are being, I think that's great, It's very tells the person's story well, but sometimes there'll be some unusual requests about kinds of music or, or even things said or done. I think that's where good folks from the funeral home can help sort of keep a, keep a lid on that so it doesn't go uh, too unusually. And we're also, if it's going to be, if it's a funeral service in our church, then that's, that's my court, okay? And I'm going, to, I'm going to craft, I'm going to guide that. And certainly in the last several years, I've had requests of things to be said or done to which I've had to say, you know, ultimately, this is a service of worship. It's a, it's a unique service of worship And we want to maintain a kind of spirit and attitude that would be so appropriate. And I think that probably just fits outside of that realm. And people have been very kind and understanding because sometimes they don't come with a spiritual background to make that kind of request. So I think you know pastors need to be big boys in those situations and say, let me lovingly guide this family through what would be more appropriate in this setting.
0: That's good. And that's a great segue to what we're going to do in the second part of our time together. We're actually going to talk about how do you plan this service and 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 also what are some of the logistical issues that go into that there's actually and i'm, I'm careful in using this word but there's a choreography mm-hmm. of a funeral service for so that it, it it goes smoothly and there aren't distractions that take away from what you're trying to do and and we need to talk about graveside scenarios and some of those get kind of unique um and uh, so we're going to we're going to be addressing all those very practical scenarios, as well as as, as well as I, what I want to do is kind of chronologically walk through the, the the moment of death. What does the what does the pastor do with the family? How do how do you get in touch with funeral homes? What what happens there? And you walk through that whole process together of meeting with the family and planning that service and walking through that together. So we'll be doing that in the second half. Before before we move to that, Dr. Williams, Dr. Jones, uh, any closing comments or encouragement or. Or words of affirmation that you would like to share before we we move forward uh, yeah i I think the big one here is
3: that um, we do have in the gospel the 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 final answer, the basic answer to the problem of death and of suffering that it's like like Dr. Jones said, uh, death is not on our terms it 's not natural, and so there is hope beyond This life, and so I, I really believe that death is, um, can be for us a pointer to where hope and where God is found.
1: And um, maybe just a word of encouragement, you know, for younger pastors who who are watching. um, You know, I'm I'm sure um, both you guys here in the ends who have done far more funerals than than us here in the middle. um, You guys can can probably uh, think back to uh, funerals. Occasions of death, uh, we—it's kind of like the first sermon you preached. You think, "Oh goodness, what did I, what did I say?" Um, and so, you know, it, it is a, a growing process, right? The—and um, if you get the main things uh, correct, uh, you know, uh, presence uh, and providing hope and, and, and gospel, and, and all those things. I mean, th- that is the main thing. Uh, and there will always be things that you say wrong, you do wrong, you think I could have done better if I had a second shot at it. And, and of course, you won't with that particular case you know but down the road you will uh, and so so like anything it's a skill that you practice that you get better at um, but getting, getting the main things right is what's most important and those are some of the things that I think we've covered here today yeah like
0: the time when you share the wrong name of the, the deceased <laughs> three times during the memorial service <laughs> and finally the wife raises her hand to correct you in the midst of your sermon. Uh, <laughs> moments like that are those moments that you try to forget, but fortunately, people like Dr. Jones force them back into my memory. And so,
2: Yeah,
0: thank you. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for being with us. We especially want to thank Dr. Williams and Dr. Jones. Uh, Dr. Boullier and I will be back for the second part. We're gonna kind of walk through the practical side, but we're so appreciative of these men. And so what we're going to do here live is we're going to take a a short intermission as we refocus, and we're going to take just a couple of moments to answer questions from the students who are here present at this point before Dr. Williams and Dr. Jones leave. So thank you, gentlemen, so much.